You know, this uh, conference that we are a part of is called One. Say One. It's called One, not just because it was a clever line to use in 2021 for a promotion. We call it because there's a deep desire in our heart that we would be the people that John spoke of. By this they'll know that we are his disciples because we have love for each other. And our prayer, our earnest prayer, as we've led into this week, is that truly everything we do, everything we say, would express our heart for God and our heart for each other. And something would shift, something would heal, something would, would move to a new level so that not only in this moment, but when we leave this place, there are expressions of unity that are at a whole new level. Let me tell you, the church of Jesus Christ in this nation needs it, and this nation needs the church of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible with you, which happens sometimes in moments like this, you might want to open to John chapter 17. If not, we'll do Bible karaoke. John 17, it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the whole Bible. In my opinion, Matthew 6, which we call the Lord's Prayer, is not really the Lord's Prayer. I believe it's the disciples' prayer because he taught us how to pray like that. But John 17 is the Lord's Prayer, and, and we have this incredible, passionate, insightful prayer recorded for us. And I'm going to grab just a snippet of it from verse 20 to 23. Jesus praying, my prayer is not for them alone those with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me. Any believers in the room? Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was praying for us here. He said, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be what? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, say then. Then, then, then the world will know that you sent me. Did the light bulb go on for somebody? Then the world would know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What a bold prayer. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, prays for us that we would have relationships that were so sincere and so strong, and so rich that they would reflect the relationship that existed in the Trinity. Wow. We ask him to answer a lot of prayers, but perhaps this is one we could answer for him. I pray, Father, that they would be one just like you and I 
are one. And he said, if they would discover that, the radical, the radical, amazing consequence, when we commit to that level of unity, he said, the very thing we hunger for, the world would know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And we strategize and we, we budget and we work and we toil for all sorts of, uh, to all sorts of means and through all sorts of ends to ultimately bring the good news of Jesus to our planet. But hey, Jesus says, this doesn't require a budget. It requires a commitment that you and I would commit to unity. And if we would commit to that level of unity, then... Then the world would know, whoa, surely that's the reason we exist. You've heard eloquently from our Prime Minister tonight. You can hear it come from somebody that knows better than all of us. Australia needs more than political reform, needs more than economic change. Australia needs a spiritual awakening. I said it again, Australia needs a spirit. Australia needs to know about Jesus. I've never been more passionate to reach boys and girls and, and adults with the good news of Jesus. Some of us have laid our lives down. Used to be in ministries like Youth Alive and you can see, looking at me, I've left that. But I tell you, my, my passion to reach which people for Jesus is stronger than ever. It's the only hope for this nation. His name is Jesus. You're going to hear a lot about that this week. You're going to hear about our strategies that we're, we're beginning to formulate to see people find the Lord, ways in which we can contextualize in 21st century modern Australia means to, for them to hear the good news of Jesus. Things we can do as we change the leadership season in missions, a whole new season in church planting. Let me tell you, church planting has not died. We need to see a whole new wave of church planting. I don't know of more effective ways to transform communities than through planting prevailing churches. Someone help the preacher and say amen. We need to do it. But the effectiveness of our plants will either be enhanced or hindered through our choices to love one another or to ignore these commandments. Wow. Could it be that the spiritual health of our nation not only sits on our shoulders by what we say, but how we live? A few things happened since we were here a couple of years ago. Don't know if you've noticed. In case you weren't watching the news over the last 18 months or so, we've had a pandemic, newsflash. It changed everything. Wreaked havoc across the planet. Some nations are still reeling under the effect of that little germ. Amongst all the challenges that we saw arise during this onslaught of COVID-19, there were a couple of things that gave me great encouragement. You gave me great encouragement to watch how you quickly shifted, pivoted. And in, in, in the space of just a few days, you all became televangelists. 
doing church on your iPhone in little outback towns. You were amazing. You served your community. We're very grateful for every level of government that kept our citizens safe, and I mean that with all my heart. But I would like to also suggest that the hand of God was on this nation. I clearly remember the day that I got a phone call was somewhat out of the blue from two different sources within the hour asking if somehow I would do what I could to lead a fresh initiative to get Australians to pray against the effects of COVID-19. I thought, all right, we'll do it. God gave us a simple strategy. Stop and pray at 1,900 hours against the effect of COVID-19. And so many of you did it. So many of you encouraged your churches to do it. It was, it was a rich time. I, I remember people sending me photos of families stopping and, and mums and dads and their kids and single people just stopping and praying and believing. When that request came, I thought, okay, I know where to start. I start in the safe place. I contact the bandwidth that we all live in, the Pentecostals. So I rang my friends that were leading the different groups within our style and sphere in the church in our nation. Then I contacted the evangelicals and I went a little further as the circles went out and then I took a deep breath. Thought, here we go. I'm gonna contact all the traditional groups in our nation. We can stand here and name them. And I've I've been humbled by many things in my life, but I'm not sure I was more humbled by the response from some of our friends from the Catholics and the Anglicans and, 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 and the Lutherans and the Presbyterians. I, I, was, I was humbled. It, it, it almost makes me emotional now as I remember as I rung one of the, one of the head people, with the, one of the bishops amongst the Catholics, and I said, I'm told that you're the person to speak to about this, and I shared with him our heart to see Australians across this nation stop and pray. And he said, what a wonderful idea. And we shared for a few minutes, and he said, my brother, would you allow me to pray for you? I'm gonna tell you, I was sat at my desk, and as this dear man of God prayed, I sobbed like a baby. Because I thought, I've grown around, up around people that preached against people like you. I remember being an arrogant young youth pastor that got invited to go and speak at a combined church rally once. As I was walking in, there were three or four sessions, and as I was walking in, somebody whispered to me, oh, the guy before you is Father so-and-so, and he told me his name. And I stopped and I said, what, a Catholic? And under my breath, I thought, he's probably not even saved. Don't judge me. This dear man got up and opened the scriptures and taught them with such profound insight. Took my breath away. And he, he got towards the end of what he was sharing and he looked across the room and he said, you know, it's really wonderful being amongst a whole group of evangelicals and Pentecostals because some of you think I'm not even saved. <laughs> and of course, I looked around the room to see who those people might be. Huh. 
You know, I think God's dealing with some of our attitudes. Jesus said, I got sheep you don't know about. Hmm. I think when we get to heaven, most of us are firstly going to be surprised we made it. <laughs> Secondly, surprised who else made it. <laughs> and repent for not walking this life with people that were brothers and sisters and we ignored them. Heaven's going to be a great revealer. And I saw through COVID-19, I saw you pray, I saw the effects. And we're not fully out of the woods, but how free, look at what we're doing here in this nation. God has answered prayers. See, things happen in environments where people commit to unity. I know, I'm a Queenslander. We play rugby league. And I don't know what spiritual powers are going on that are destroying the confidence of the Broncos, but I stand against that in Jesus' name. <laughs> One of my favorite times of year is that middle of the year when the State of Origins played. Some of those great times when Pastor Brian and I share some of the most precious times of fellowship. <laughs> He's mocked me publicly from the Hillsong stage too many times. Went very quiet for almost 11 years. <laughs> and got all proud when they won one in a row. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been, and the Queenslanders in the room probably continue, but it's true. When, when you go to that place called Lang Park and the Maroons are playing, there's something in the atmosphere. They hardly ever lose because of the atmosphere. I want us to this week, and then next week, and then next month, and next year, I want us to have an atmosphere where the church of Jesus can't lose because of the encouragement, because of the support, because of the prayer, because of the kindness that we're showing. Hey, we're on the same team. Let's begin to cheer each other on. And as I was reading the prayer of Jesus, Something struck me. The greatest threat to unity is me. It's you. It's us. Jesus said if, if we'd be unified, then, then he'll do something that sweeps the planet. I'm sure I don't have to convince anyone. We've already heard about it tonight. But there is on this nation right now incredible evidence of the activity of the spirit of Antichrist. And Paul wrote about it. And he spoke to, and we've preached, many of us have preached so many times out of the book of Ephesians where he tells us we're not wrestling with flesh and blood. But we're wrestling with, with dark spiritual powers. And, and, and Paul teaches that so profoundly and he's made this assumption that we've committed our lives to fighting the devil, not our brother. Because if the enemy can get us fighting each other, he takes ground and we lose it. Dare I say that strife in the body of Christ is the greatest hindrance to revival in this nation.
strife, stuff. And strife never starts as an external issue. It always starts in here. It starts in me before it ever starts to break out around me. James wrote about it. I'm going to use the Passion Translation because he addresses this subject so magnificently. And and let's just use that version for a moment just to draw it out. He, He asks, what is the cause of your conflicts and your quarrels with each other? And he answers it. Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and to fulfill your own desires? You jealously want what others have. Now, that doesn't happen with us with the church down the road. I'll read on. You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. How can God bless that pastor with tattoos? You scheme with envy and harm each other to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time, hmm, you don't obtain it because you won't ask God for it. No, you don't wrestle in the spirit. You get in the flesh and the blood. The battle begins inside of you. And James identifies some of the fruit of that inner conflict. It's jealousy, it's selfishness, it's unresolved conflict. It's all those things that are ugly. Now, thankfully, we're not talking about ACC. We're talking about those other groups. Just give me that all-knowing, pious look. Would never happen here, would it? You see, we're pretty good at moments like this of keeping up facades. Our favorite word our favorite word. My grandson said it the other day. He was doing something at our house, did a little bit of art, and he stopped and he went, awesome. And he went, oh, Grandpa, I just used a youth pastor's word. <laughs> awesome. And we'll get around this week, hey, going, awesome. And we hide behind this facade. And sometimes there's stuff on the inside that really needs to be healed by the Holy Spirit. Because here's the, here's the problem. What's on the inside will eventually get on the outside. Jesus said it. Out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. And we can keep it in here until the pressure comes on. And when the pressure comes on, the stuff comes out. I learned that. I learned that two or three years ago. My friends from Planet Shakers were, were doing one of our Worship Together conferences at Hope Center. It was amazing. My son Ryan was preaching, and I needed to get back from Hawaii to be at that night. Just needed to be there. And obviously, I preached on the Sunday, Sunday night, but with the, with the date change, I lost the day. And so we worked my schedule out that I was going to catch the very first flight out that was available so I could get home in time. So I was all set. I even organized that I'd fly up the front and, and I'd have a, a roller bag that was just for cabin and I'd carry everything in a knapsack. It was a, I'd spoken at a formal function and, or two and so there was a mix of fashion so I kind of had suit and tie as well as kind of more casual clothes and, and I stuffed them all in and as I finished with it, I just jammed everything into the bag and all my dirty washing I put into the knapsack. Now I arrived at the desk and I'm thinking, man, I'm early. There's no one here. So I'm, hello? Excuse me, I need to catch this plane. Trouble is, 
Somehow there'd been a communication glitch and I didn't realize that the plane actually was going to go an hour and a half earlier than I thought it was going. And everybody was on it. You've never seen me beg like I begged that day. I said, I, 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 who, who can I speak to? They gave me the highest, most authoritarian person that was available in that moment. I said, could, I need to get on that plane. You don't understand. It's an emergency. Please. Do whatever you can. And, and eventually they found somebody that said, all right, stamp, go on, get on the plane. And they said, you've got to go through customs. I said, where is it? Sit down that way. And then when you get through it, your plane is completely the last gate that way. Now, so I don't know how many of you have ever seen the, the farmers in, in the sheep pens where they're kind of walking on the back. The sheepdog, that was me. Through, through security. Excuse me, Australian, got to get home. And, and I'm just... Excuse me, God bless you. And, and, and I got through, knapsack checked, met some security people that are pretty interested in getting a little close to me, and it was fun. And, and we, we did the whole thing, and, and, and I'm looking, and I finally get out, and I can hear my name. Could Mr. Alcorn please go to gate 576? <laughs> Your plane's about to leave. So I ran. And I ran and I ran and I ran. I had my knapsack, sorry, I had my roller bag and my knapsack. And as I was running, I didn't realize. I had all my dirty clothes in the knapsack and the zip began to open and I'm running and it's bouncing up and down and everything in the knapsack, everything I'd worn for the last three or four days not everything that's always on the outside, but this stuff is on the inside, starts coming out like a volcano. And I'm running, not knowing. Next thing, there's this beautiful American couple running beside me going, Sir, sir, you've dropped this. Stuff is coming out everywhere, right through Hawaii International, Honolulu International Airport. And I'm just yelling, Mr. Alcorn Gate, 576. And this couple are running beside me with jocks and socks. And I'm yelling out, put them in the bin! <laughs> Got on the plane, did that walk. You know that walk where everybody's been waiting for you? <laughs> By the time I got on the plane, my knapsack was empty. <laughs> the bins of the Honolulu airport were full with stuff I'd worn for the last four days. I did not care. But I got on the plane. And when I finally got my breath, I realized I just experienced a metaphor of life, that what's on the inside will come out <laughs> under pressure. And some of us in ministry, we can put on all the stuff, we can use all the language, but if we haven't dealt with the issue with the church down the road, and that family that left, and that precious person that just has the gift of correcting your theology every Monday morning via email. Aren't they special? You, it won't come out when everything's good. It'll just come out when you're under pressure. You know, our, our vocation involves working with people. It's a tough gig can be brutal at times. This is actually a support group. <laughs> My name is Wayne Alcorn and I'm a pastor. 
That's why we're here. When we get those stuff, we get disappointments. Critics come along. People go. Sometimes we feel betrayed. Just goes with the territory, sadly. Sorry if they didn't warn you when you started. But it does happen. And we get hurt. Recent season, there's been a lot of people movement. I don't know if you've noticed. It's another COVID thing. Any pastor that says they didn't lose people in the last 12 months needs to repent. (laughs) By the way, you didn't lose the church. You only lost the crowd. You didn't lose the core. You only lost the fringe. It's okay. So don't get too stressed. Tides go out and tides come in. Uh, like you, we, we had people that just didn't come back after COVID. And I, I remember saying, Lord, I feel like we've taken a hair, haircut. And the Holy Spirit whispered to me a few weeks ago, there's just this wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. One of our services, the Holy Spirit said to me, your hair's grown back. Your hair's grown back. And, and I feel that that's happening in the Church of Australia. We, there's, there's been movement. People have moved. By the way, don't get stressed that they've gone and don't get too pumped that they've come to you from somewhere else. I've been talking to some friends in our city in Brisbane and said, hey, why don't we all just chip in and buy a bus? <laughs> and just put the name of 20 churches there. Stop one is this church. Stop two, stop two. Just get on and we just keep moving around. If we chip in, we're going to save a lot of dramas. <laughs> it happens. So don't get, don't get mad at the guy down the road because one of your people decided to go there. Come on. They have have a free will, they have a choice. You know, as a pastor and a leader, I'm constantly challenged. I'm constantly challenged to be the kind of Christian I urge our people to be. You ever ever preached a sermon and thought you should be the first on the altar call? I'm kind of building that right now. I don't just want to be that teacher that says you have to behave like this this is how we we've got to be the example of this we've got we've got to be that that kind of person and the holy spirit's been speaking to my heart recently about the importance of my lifestyle and my speech reflecting jesus christ who lives in me can we just commit to being christians again lay our titles down our roles and just be humble Sons and daughters of the king. Let's just live like that. When we, he says if we could live like that, something's going to happen. And the world that so needs to hear about Jesus is going to move. I want to live where my highest priority in life, listen, listen, leader, my highest priority in life is not to win an argument, but to win a brother or sister. Where my understanding of unity transcends the need for uniformity. God's got this big wide family that looks all kind of different in all kinds of ways and and God bring us to a level of maturity where I can celebrate other people's styles and other people's streams. 
I want to live where I carry short accounts. We've already heard it tonight. But one of the highest badges of honor in the 21st century is to be offended. And it goes to another level if you can celebrate it on social media. I'm offended. I'm a Christian. Can I, can I ask you a question? As the team get ready to join us and we pray, we're gonna pray one more time for each other. But here's my question. What if we paid more attention to the Bible than we do to social media? What if? What, what, what could happen if we actually put into practice Ephesians 4? Let me read to you tonight. The last verse I want to read to you. Verse 32 of Ephesians 4. Here's what Paul writes to us. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Here's a big word. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. We spoke a few moments ago about the disciples' prayer in Matthew 6. And Jesus comes to that great middle part of it. and He says, when you pray, pray like this. Father, forgive us our sins as, say as, as we forgive the sins. Some versions say debts. The old King James says trespasses, or as the little boy said, trash baskets. God, forgive my trash basket as I forgive the junk that people have dumped on me. Father, forgive me as, as, as. You know, so important was that factor in the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that it's the very first thing he, he taught when he completed the prayer, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. And he says, do you know something? If you don't forgive from your heart, your brother, I don't know about you, but there's some scary verses in the Bible. Here's one. If you don't forgive your brother from your heart, neither will your father in heaven forgive you. Drop the mic and go home. This is what Jesus is saying. If you want to live under forgiveness, you'd better live out forgiveness. This is how it works. The people that did that stuff, said that stuff, that staff member that did that horrible thing to you. And listen, it happens, it happens, it happens. Jesus hung on a cross. and Paul says, try to be like Jesus. Have a look at him on a cross. This is what he says. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You know, that helped me a lot one day. I realized not everybody's wicked. Some people are just ignorant. You know, some of the people that put Jesus on a cross thought they were doing the right thing. And we're so clever 2,000 years ago with the power of hindsight and judging the Pharisees. Many of us in that moment may have been the people who were trying to protect pure religion like they were. And he says, Father, forgive them. They've got a good heart. They just don't understand. And some people didn't know you were having a bad day. They didn't know your family member was sick when they wrote that thing. They didn't know. But we get all calloused and hurt. Some of us actually take off ramps from this thing called ministry just because it just gets too hard. So maybe this week, maybe this week is a magnificent opportunity. Having gone through what we've gone through in the last couple of years, especially for us to just stop and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to his ministers. Maybe this week is a week where we get off our high horse of self-justification and we lay down some stuff. 
We allow him to heal our hearts. We let go of offense. Because you know what? It doesn't really matter. What matters is that the world would know that God so loved the world. That's what matters. That's why we're here. Conferences are a great opportunity for heart checks and for ministry. The psalmist wrote that magnificent psalm. Psalm 133, if we have it, we're going to put it on the screen. Would you stand with me? Psalm 133. Would you like to read it out loud with me? Come on. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Ready for verse three? It is, there. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, where is there? There is where we commit to unity. That's where, and when we commit to do that there, then that's where he does what it says in verse, in verse three. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. God, we need a fresh outpouring of the fresh oil of the Spirit. We need it to start at the head. We need it to run down on every person from the little children, God. But it starts with the leadership. It starts with you and me saying, God, I lay down the battle. I lay go over the offense. I stop looking back at the past and I reach on towards what you have for my life, for our church, for this nation. God, I commit to unity so you can pour out a fresh anointing on this nation again. Raise your hands to heaven if you would. Raise it to heaven. Begin to pray for this nation. Begin to say, Father, we need a spiritual awakening. Father, we need a new move of your spirit. Father, we need Australia to know What I want you to do is in a COVID safe way, place your hand on the shoulder of somebody nearby. You don't ask, you don't even need to ask them, what is it? Can I tell you what? Everyone in this room is carrying something that heavies their heart. Everyone in this room carries burdens. Some of us have been offended. Some of us have got resentment. Some of us have got, all of us in ministry have got some level of disappointment. Why don't we just choose that today we're going to let it go? Why don't we choose that this is the day the Lord has made? Why don't we choose that this is the first day of a whole new way of loving one another, of being in unity? Come on, begin to pray for the church. Pray for the person either side of you. Oh, Father, we bless you. Father, we ask you to touch your people. 
Do a work in our hearts, we ask. Help us, heal us. Work in our hearts. Bind up broken hearts. Restore our soul. As we let go of offense, as we choose to forgive, let there be a grace upon us, God. Let there be a grace upon us, we pray. Let this week be a week where you powerfully minister to pastors and leaders, to missionaries. God, to people in all kinds of realms that are serving you, let it happen as we choose to love one another as you have loved us in Jesus' name. Come on, make this a prayer as we sing it tonight.